1: Good, good. So uh, my name is Kurt McDonnell. I am one of the pastors uh, here at the church, and it is my great privilege uh, to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word this morning. May he add his blessing to it. Uh, as you know, last week we began our series in 1 Corinthians, uh, and we looked at the geography, we looked at the culture, um, so that we could get a better understanding or a better grasp of uh, this people group into which the Apostle Paul is speaking the gospel to. So this is, this is the unchanging gospel that he's speaking into a particular culture. And so understanding that culture helps us understand uh, the way in which they would have heard it and received it. And so today, uh, we're, we're getting into the text. So we attempted uh, to, to get into the text last week, and we got one word in. We stopped at Paul. Uh, and so my, my goal uh, was to get through um, all the way through the Thanksgiving, verse 9. I did not get that far. Um, so what we're doing uh, this week is we are coming through uh, verses 1 through 3. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. Get your smart device in front of you um, so that you can look at the text as we go. That way you know I'm not making it up as, uh, as we move along. So let's do this. Uh, can we get right to work this morning? Yeah. Okay, let's get right to work. I'm going to give you uh, the, the sermon in a sentence, the big idea. Here we go. Uh, Christians. Christians are called by the will of God to live holy lives with other believers. That's the sermon. That's the text. Christians are called by the will of God. Um, And and it's not as if God calls us into his family and then transports us directly to heaven. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) That's not how it works. That's not God's plan. God calls us into his family, and so we're called to live holy lives Together. Everybody say together. Together. Yeah. together with other believers. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So ha- have you ever thought of this question? Have you ever asked yourself this question? How did I get here? Now, uh, you-, you might say, Pastor Kirk, I drove. That's not what I mean. I mean, how, di- how did you become a Christian? How-, how did you get into the faith? How, how do you believe what you believe about Jesus. So um, let, let's just show of hands. Who was raised in the church? Mama and daddy drug, okay, most of us. Mama and daddy drug your your tired tail to church, kicking and screaming no matter if you wanted to go or not. M- many of us were raised in the church. So some of us don't even remember a time where we didn't believe on Jesus. Um, for me, I, I believed on Jesus or, or chose to follow Christ when uh, when I was in middle school, I was uh, at, a, at a beach camp, and, and the youth pastor was up there, and, and, and he was, he was c- communicating to us about our sin, and, and I felt this deep conviction over the things that I had done and the life that I would lived, and, and I was far away from God, and, and, I, and, and I believed on Christ. I asked Christ to come into my heart. Others of us maybe weren't raised in the church at all. You, you found yourself maybe at just rock bottom, racked with addiction drugs and alcohol abusive relationship and and just out of a sense of you weren't raised in the church you know anything about it but just uh, out of a sense of i've got to find a way out you called upon the name of the lord but others of you maybe maybe you just started investigating christianity sounds interesting i've i've looked at other religions and i'll investigate christianity and, and that's kind of what what got you in the door or, or maybe you got here because you had a friend or a family member that just wouldn't leave you alone. Now, all of that very well may be true. Any of those scenarios, which I just named, very well may be true. But underneath all of those scenarios was the powerful hand of God working to bring you to himself. So so no matter which way you you entered into the door of Christianity, the powerful hand of God was working to draw you, to call you, and to bring you unto himself. So it is appropriate to say, I chose to follow Christ, but the only way you would ever choose to follow Christ is if he took the scales off of your eyes, if he took your your heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh, if, if he showed you who he really is, that's the only way you would ever choose to follow him. So what we're going to see in the text today is exactly that. Paul says, Paul, called by the will of who? God, called by the will of God to be an apostle to the saints, those who are sanctified, called by the will of God. This is exactly what he's talking about. Th- this is why it says in Romans 3.10, look at this. As it is written, look at, look at this. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. Nobody seeks for God. So, so listen, if you're here this morning and, and you're like, you know, I'm just I'm kind of checking out this Christianity thing. Hey, let me just let you in on something. Uh, the Lord is working in your life. Yeah. <laughs> God is doing something to to bring you to himself because no one seeks for God. We are too sinful. We're too broken. We don't want anything to do with God. And so the only way that we would want something to do with God is if God was doing something in our lives. Yeah. Um, th- th- this is why it says in, in John, Jesus says this, John six forty four. no one can come to me. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty all-encompassing. No one. Who can come to Jesus? No one. No one can come to me unless, unless What? The Father who sent me draws him. Now, now, look, look, look at this verse. This word, can, um, is not a word of permission. It's a word of ability. Yeah. Meaning, um, the person who is unsaved is unable to. They can't do it. They're too sinful. Their will has been shattered and broken by sin so much so that they would never choose to follow Christ. And So, so how do people come to Christ? The Father draws them. That's how they they get there. Look at John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, that's basically three ways of saying the same thing. Uh, Those people who got saved, how did they get saved? Look at this. Who were born, that is spiritual birth or being born again, who were born not of blood uh, m- meaning not by human you're going to see this succession here not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but how do they how do they come to know him but of God God's will God is the deciding factor in whether or not someone will choose to follow Christ um Let's let's do this. I want to before we get to our text, let's break this down even further and let's look at the order or the unfolding of this beautiful salvation. It's called the order of salvation. We've actually seen this chart before when we were going through uh, first and second Peter. But we're going to we're going to look at this again. Just just hang with me. And as a matter of fact, go ahead and do this. Ignore five through nine. Let's not even talk about that. Ignore five through nine. Let's just look at one through four because we're talking about being called by the will of God today. Okay? Here's what happens election. Number one, how how do we get into the door of Christianity? How does someone become a Christian? Here it is one, election. God's choice of people to be saved. Before the foundation of the world, Christian, God said, You're mine. I love you. You will be mine. I will be yours. I'm going to save you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die the death that you should have died in your place for your sins. And that shed blood on the cross will be your atoning sacrifice. You will be saved. Period. Paragraph. That was God's choice. Then there is this effectual call effectual meaning the call had effect there's a general call that's the call of the gospel that goes out to everyone everywhere but then there is an effectual call meaning you hear the gospel with effect it works in your life then there is regeneration the power of the holy spirit overtakes you Puts your broken, sinful will in bondage. Your eyes are open. The scales come off. Your heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh. It's as if you were being held up underwater and you burst out of the water. And what what do you do immediately? You take a deep breath. You, You become spiritually alive. You're regenerated. And then, number four, that's what happens. That's when you choose to follow Christ. Your faith and repentance. Election, effectual call. Regeneration, conversion. Faith. And repentance, you say, I'm going to place my faith on Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross was for me. You see, that's the difference. You you can leave here right now and go find somebody who's not a Christian and ask them, what did Jesus do on the cross? He died for sin, right? We're in the South. Most people are, you know, semi-religious. Most people understand that concept. The difference is when you say, not only did Jesus die on the cross, but that death was for me. Okay? That is faith and repentance, where you understand the life that you have been living has been contrary to God. Uh, you have been living in rebellion, deciding your own way, deciding your own path, saying, you know what, my sexuality is my sexuality and I can do with it whatever I want. My money is my money and I can do with it whatever I want. That is the way of rebellion. And repentance says those ways are wrong and I must subject myself, my life, my marriage, my money, my children, everything that I have, all that I am, I must, I must ask forgiveness from God and then give everything to him. That's repentance, okay? Okay. So today, we're going to be looking specifically at this idea of effectual call. Christians are called, back Back to the main idea, Christians are called by the will of God, by the will of God, to live lives of holiness, striving after him. You see, it's not as if, well, I'm elected, uh, you know, God has called me, I'm regenerated and I'm converted, and I know that I'm going to make it to glorification, and so I'm just going to live however I want to live. No, 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 never Never. Those of us who have truly received, listen, those of us who have truly received grace would never seek to abuse it. Amen. Because we love Jesus. We love Jesus. If you're truly converted, you love Jesus. And because you love him, you want to obey him with your life, especially as he calls you on to holiness. If you're, if you're taking notes, the predestined grace of, of God saves us from Satan, sin, and death, and calls us to a life of holiness in the context of community. We, we say this around here all the time. We're, we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. Amen. We're, we're saved from Satan, his power. He no longer, Christian, he no longer has power over you. Um, We're we're saved from sin, meaning the power of sin that enslaves you, that traps you, that ensnares you. We're saved from that. We're saved from death, meaning um, Christians, you will not deal with eternal death and damnation away from God. We're saved from all of that. And for that, we say, amen, (laughs) praise him. Hallelujah, praise him but we're also saved to something, to a life of holiness, striving to get rid of sin, and we don't do that alone. So so the path is narrow, right? The Christian path is narrow, but it is not a lonely path. It should never be a lonely path. There should be a community of brothers and sisters in Christ alongside of us traveling down this road with us. So some, some would see salvation working in this way. Um, Jesus dies on the cross, and after his death, he extends his hand and says, anyone that would take my hand, I will save. That's called synergism. We understand uh, salvation is monergistic, not synergistic, meaning uh, Jesus dies on the cross to pay for our sins, and we are swimming as fast as we can towards the bottom of the sea. And instead of letting us continue to swim towards the bottom of the sea, Jesus reaches in and snatches our rebellious tails out of the sea. That is monergistic salvation and the way that we understand the scriptures to be. That is the effectual call, that is election, effectual call, regeneration, and conversion, as we just saw. That's the sermon, y'all. I'm done. Okay, so now what I need to do um, is I need to go to the text and prove to you that that's what the text says. So go ahead and, and get this text in front of you as we, as we work through it together so you can make sure I'm not making it up or winging it as I go. Here we go. Y'all ready to get to the text? Yeah. And I'm fired up to get to the text today if you cannot tell. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul Let's stop right there. <laughs> y'all know I had to. Come on. Y'all... I set y'all up for that one. we got to stop right there. Who, who is this man, Paul, who's, who's writing this letter? How do we? Um, well, um, Paul is a, a very complicated man. He was a hyper-religious Jew. And when I say hyper-religious, I mean hyper-religious. Um, he was a nationalist He believed the nation of Israel was the greatest nation and far superior to every other one because the nation of Israel was chosen by God. In addition, he was a racist. Why was he a racist? Because the Jewish people were chosen by God, therefore superior to all other races. Just listen to what he has to say about himself in Philippians uh, 3, 4 through 6. He says this, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) Uh, He says, you think you're fancy? Well, he says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, again, he's saying, you think you're fancy? I'm way more fancy. You think you're religious? I'm way more religious. But here's what happened to this dude. There he was on the road to Damascus. He has official papers in his hand, official papers from the synagogue, which says he can go into the other synagogue in Damascus. He can hunt Christians. He can tie them up, beat them, and throw them in jail. That's what the official paper said. That's what he was going there to do. But God interrupted his plans. Don't you like it when God interrupts your plans? I mean, I don't like it, but I'm I'm glad that he does. Amen. Yeah. I'm glad that God does interrupt our plans. I'm not super pumped when He actually does it. As He's going on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, knocks this fool blind. He gets, I mean, he he is blinded by the shining light of Christ. Uh, Jesus asks him why he is persecuting him. Uh, Paul then hears the effectual call of Christ, calling him into His service as an apostle, and his life is changed forever. And as a matter of fact, that big list that, that, he just, that, that we just saw in Philippians about how, you know, how awesome he was, Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, he says, I count all of that as loss for the cause of Christ. Amen. He's radically, radically transformed. Paul, let's, let's keep going. Paul, called by the will of God, called by the will of God. Of God. The only way that the Apostle Paul is going to get saved is if he is called by the will of God. He wasn't interested in Jesus. He wasn't seeking Jesus. He wasn't, you know, I've got some questions about Jesus. He wanted to kill Christians and throw them in jail. That's how much he hated Christianity. That, that's how religiously filled with zeal he was, hunting and killing Christians. But he gets called by the will of God. So, so last week, last week I said this at the end of the sermon. I said, I think that we should pray for the most unlikely people to be saved. Now, I want to clarify that. They're only unlikely by human standards. <laughs> so no, no wretched sinner is more or less unlikely to be saved. We're all hyper unlikely to be saved. And God is mighty to save, right? So, so anyway, uh, sidebar over. Here we go. What we see here in this text, Paul called by the will of God. This is the effectual call, not a general call. This is is what happens when a a Christian gets saved. So what the preacher does on stage is only to pour gasoline. That's, That's all that I do. As you sit down with coffee with, with your lost family member or your lost friend, as, as you share the gospel with a coworker, all you're doing is pouring gasoline. That's the only thing that you can do. And you do not have matches, friends. It is only the Holy Spirit that has the matches. Listen, I am, I am so, so thankful that this is the way that God has designed it. You know how terrified I would be every Sunday if it depended on me? If your soul depended on my eloquent or lack thereof preaching, I would be terrified. And so there's there's a sense of of confidence that we can go into talking to our friends about Christ. There's a sense of confidence that that we can that we can have as we share uh, Christ with our coworkers because we're just pouring gasoline. We, we just tell them Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you in His family. There's an amazing path that that god has for your life and, and trust in jesus we just tell him that and it's not up to us it is god who gives the effectual call the holy spirit is the one that has the matches all you do is pour the gasoline and that's what happened to uh to paul in a very radical way as jesus was the one who showed up and and spoke the gospel message to him and the holy spirit was there to convert him in a very decisive moment paul called by the will of god to be an apostle of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. That term Christ means Messiah. He's called to be an apostle. Um, now, the capital A apostles, big apostles, um, were men who physically saw the resurrected Christ and were appointed by Jesus himself to the office of apostle. that That's what he's saying he is called into. And remember, he's writing to this church and... Y'all, this church <laughs> is it's messed up, okay, to say the least. They're suing each other. Um, they, they are uh, creating divisions in the church, a class system in the church. We, you know, we are the elite Christians over here, and you guys are the just regular Christians down here. Um, they're, they're getting drunk at communion. Th- they are sexually immoral. And so he's reminding them of his authority as an apostle, right? I'm, I'm Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle because he's writing to reform or to correct what's been going on in this church. And so he's reminding them that he is an apostle. Now, he is not insisting that he is worthy to be called an apostle. Rather, he is reminding them of who said he was an apostle. Yeah. Do you see that in the text? Look at it. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of who? Christ Jesus. So so listen up. He He's saying, I'm about to try to correct some things in the church. I'm about to, like, get some things straight here. And I'm just letting y'all know Jesus told me to do this. Jesus called me to, to say this. And so I've, I've got to say it. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our who? Brother. We're, we're automatically entered into this familial language. You have the effectual call of Christ. And it's directly connected to this familial language of brother. He calls this dude his brother, his brother Sosthenes. Now, we learned last week from Acts 18 that uh, there was this dude named Crispus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. And Paul comes to town, uh, preaches, and the effectual call comes to Crispus, and he gets saved, and they replace him at the synagogue with this guy Sosthenes, and then Sosthenes gets saved. And, and so he's he's here with him. and and, and it's almost as if um, he, he's he's reminding the church at Corinth that Sosthenes is with him because Sosthenes carries some weight in that community. He, he was the synagogue ruler, and now Sosthenes and Paul are on the same team. And he calls he calls him, he calls him uh, his, his brother, verse two. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother Sosthenes, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, look at, look at that word church, okay? So this, this word church in the Greek is ekklesia, ekklesia. And, and what that word ekklesia means is a gathering, means a gathering of people. So um, you could have an ekklesia at a stadium. You could have an ekklesia um, in, in a marketplace, um, you could have an ecclesia in a government building to hear a politician give a speech. But this ecclesia right here has a particular designation, does it not? To the ecclesia of God. This is God's church. This is God's church there in, in Corinth. This, this is specifically his church. So, what is a church? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. If you're taking notes, the local church is a community of believers organized under qualified leadership that gathers regularly for preaching and for worship. They observe the sacraments, practice church discipline, and seek to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission, which is go into all the nations uh, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, great commandment, great commission. So a church... In order to actually be a church, must be doing these things. If they're not doing these things, they're not a church. And you listen, you cannot call something else that's not this a church. Listen, if y'all want to see me lose my mind, if you want to <laughs> if you want to see me just lose my ever loving mind, come up to me and tell me that the golf course is your church. I will I will regulate. I'm telling you, I will regulators will mount up. It was a clear back night, a clear white moon. Now, because It's God's church. So you can't take this idea of church and and make it whatever you want to. So the golf course is not your church. The deer stand is not your church. Going hiking is not your church. The church is what God says that it is. God sent his son to die for a particular people. And he calls people together to gather together under regular preaching, under church discipline, doing all the things, the great commission, the great commandment. He calls that the church. And so that's what the church is. Okay, y'all don't believe me. Listen, there okay, there is I'm still talking about it. There is a there's a country song. There's a country song, maybe you've heard it. It's called My Church. Now, for the record, I do listen to other types of music other than country. I listen to country and Western. Now there is (laughs) I'm playing. I'm okay. There is a country song that comes on the radio. It's called My Church. Uh, I'm gonna read the lyrics to you just for fun. Here we go. She says this: I've cussed on a Sunday. I've cheated and I've lied. I've fallen down from grace a far too many times. Okay, fine, I'm I'm with you so far. But I find my holy redemption when I put this car in drive, roll the windows down and turn up the dial. Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Feels like the Holy Ghost running through you when I play the highway FM. I find my soul revival singing every single verse. Yes, that is my church. No, it's not. That's not your church. Can I get a hallelujah? No, you can't. Can I get an amen? No, because that's not your redemption. That's not the church. The church is what God says it is. Paul is writing this letter to the church of God. Don't you understand? I, I know I'm being silly, but don't you understand how important this is? These are the people which Christ has shed his blood for. The precious blood of Christ. And so to throw around the idea of you get to make up your church or whatever you want it to be is, is blasphemous. And it says that the purchasing blood of Christ is worthless. And church family, we cannot do that. We cannot do that. You are called to a particular people in a particular place. And God planned that before the foundation of the world. You see, Jesus knew about GCC before we ever thought about planning this church. It was Jesus who called us together as a particular people. He knew who we were going to be. Jesus knows who he's going to call into membership here. Jesus knows who he's going to minister to here. And Jesus knows the exact date when GCC will close its doors. Jesus knows that because it's, it's the church of God. Now listen to the way that he describes these people. To the church of God that is in Corinth, he, he says these two things about them. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. They are sanctified saints. The church of God in Corinth is filled with sanctified saints. Now, again, keep reading this letter. Keep reading this letter. There is, there is an instance of incest in this church. That's how jacked up they are. But they are sanctified saints. How? In the world cannot be well um the, those of you who are where are my deacons at deacons in the room okay deacons had to had to go through a, a, a systematic theology training right and in that systematic theology training we come across this idea of sanctification and usually when we think about the idea of sanctification it is directly connected to progressive sanctification are you all still with me am i going too fast it's, it's directly connected to progressive sanctification meaning that you are killing sin and becoming more like christ that's what progressive sanctification is that's not what he's talking about because this church um while they are supposed to be acting like christians they're actually acting like corinthians so this is not talking about progressive sanctification rather this is talking about positional sanctification oh somebody somebody now help me positional sanctification what is positional sanctification i'm glad you asked here it is positional sanctification occurs when we trust in christ alone for salvation then we are forgiven set apart as god's holy people made into a new creation and therefore are seen as holy in god's sight That's positional sanctification. When when you hear the effectual call and you become a Christian, you are positionally sanctified and put on the road of being progressively sanctified. It's something that you are. You already have it, and so work to attain it. Um, Remember when, when God told the people of Israel, I got this land. It's a promised land, and it's yours. You already have it. It's your land. Now go get it. It's the exact same way. You are positionally sanctified. If you are a Christian, God sees you as holy. God sees you as his, his child when he looks upon you. He doesn't see your, your stain, your filth, your sin. He, he sees you as pure. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. And then what we must do now is chase after that holiness, chase after that sanctifiedness, which isn't a word. I just made it up. That, that's, that's what the Christian is set out to do. These Christians were really, really messed up, but their positional sanctification was not based upon their behavior, but it was based upon the declaration of what God had said. Their sanctification by virtue of being saved was their connection and union with Christ. Christian, in the same way, you're standing with God, listen to me, Christian, you're standing with God does not depend upon your performance. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have the most difficult time believing that. As a pastor, I, I, know, I know that the Bible says that, that my standing with God is not dependent upon my performance, but I have to remind myself of that every single day, almost every single moment, because I wanna go out there and work and see the church grow and see people saved. And and, and there's there's this voice, this lie in my heart that says, if you're not working for God, if you're not doing for him, if the church isn't growing, if people aren't getting saved, if the new members class isn't filled, then somehow God is disappointed with me. And that is a lie from the devil. And Christian, it's, it's the same with you. If you find yourself believing that, well, you, you know, you're not reading the Bible enough, and so God's unhappy with you. You're not spending enough time in prayer. You went to that coffee with that friend who doesn't know Jesus, and you didn't tell them about Jesus. How dare you? I am, I am ashamed at you. How, that, that is not the voice of God. The heart of God says, "You are my son. You are my daughter, and I love you." So he calls them sanctified, and then he, he calls them saints, right? We use that idea of saints as, um, as that's the elite Christian. Oh, that, that sweet woman, she is a saint, right? That's, that's the elite godly. No, the, the Bible never uses the idea of saint as the elite Christian. The Bible says that every Christian is a saint. Feel free to call me Saint Kirk. Go ahead, as long as I get to call you saint too. Because that's the way God sees us. He sees us as sanctified and as saints. If you're taking notes, please, please jot this down. We must strive to become what God said we already are. We must strive to become... What God said we already are. God already said we're positionally sanctified. God already said that we are saints. And so let us strive in holiness. Let us strive for holiness to, to be that and, and to do that. We must strive, we must strive, we must strive. So here's what you need to know. It, it's not that God saves us by, by his effective call, election, effective call, regeneration, conversion. He welcomes us. And, and we know that if it is God who does the calling and brings us into salvation that he will never let us go it's we never use that as license to live however we want as a matter of fact listen to what paul says in 1 corinthians he's going to go on to say in chapter 9 1 corinthians chapter 9 verse 27 he says this but i discipline my body and keep it under control i mean that you want to talk about striving for holiness Other translations, I think it's the NIV, it says, I beat my body into submission, is is what it says. He says this, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So so the apostle who writes that it is God who saves from beginning to end, that that there is the electing power of God's grace and you will unfailingly come to him and you will remain with him, the, the apostle that preaches that, he also says, and I discipline my body so that I might obey him, I strive towards holiness. Let, look, this is so important. lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Why doesn't Paul? Why is he striving for holiness in such a way that he is not disqualified? The reason that he's doing that is because if he becomes disqualified, if he disqualifies himself from ministry, it would bring shame upon the name of Christ, and Paul loves Jesus. Church family, here's the whole key. Here's the key. Write this down. Those who have truly been converted love Jesus. And if you love him, you want to obey him as he calls you to holiness. Those who have truly been converted, those who have been elected, regenerated, converted, truly, they love Jesus. Christian, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you really love him? Does he he stir your heart's affection as you think about his his road that he walked down as he carried the cross to to his place of execution so that you might be a part of the family of God? Does that stir something in your heart? Do you love him? Then obey him. Then strive for holiness. Now look at this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, look at this word called to be saints, how? Together, together. together. This, this road, it's not a lonely road. It's a narrow road, but it's not a lonely road. As we enter into the local context of what it means to be a part of a Christian community of a church body, we're entering in this whole thing together as brothers and sisters. That's why he called Sosthenes his brother, his brother. We, we get this whole new family, right? Some of us come from really painful family context. And as, as we enter into this family, it, it, it becomes home to us because we love one another and we care for one another and we, we serve one another. It's, it's to be done together. If you're taking notes, Christian community is the soil in which a Christian grows. Christian community is the soil in which a Christian grows. As, as iron sharpens iron, as... As as we go to one another and pray for one another and encourage one another, as, as we strive together alongside with one another, as we rebuke one another, that's that's how we grow. We grow together. Christians don't grow alone, Christians grow together in the context of community. We gotta move. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. He He's talking about a local context, a local Christian community right there in Corinth. And, and he's also talking to the, the church, not just local, but the church universal, meaning the, every church everywhere. Listen, what that means is that it's not all about GCC. There are other gospel-preaching churches in our city. There are other gospel-preaching churches in our state. There are other gospel-preaching churches in our region, in our nation, and we love them. We pray for them. We want to unite with them. It's not all about us and our numbers and our money. and our. We, we love other churches, and we want to see other churches grow. I don't care if a church plants right next door to us. If they preach the gospel, they preach Jesus, we're for it because yeah. we love them. We want to see all churches grow everywhere. In addition, what this means is we need to be mindful Okay, so he's talking about every church everywhere We need to be mindful of what's happening in churches all around the world This week I received this letter and, and I want I want to read it to you. Um, all of us have been watching what's been going on in, in the news of churches all over the world, especially churches in in the Middle East and how Churches in the Middle East are struggling because U.S. troops are pulling out of those areas. And so Christian churches, specifically in Syria, um, are under great persecution. The troops are pulling out. Extreme uh, groups are moving in, killing Christians, destroying churches. This is a letter from... um, The director of Acts 29 Southeast. So if you don't know what Acts 29 is, Acts 29 is a church planting organization uh, that we're involved with. Uh, We're we're actually in in the network, uh, in a network of churches that are all about planting other churches. Uh, So uh, if you go in the Bible and you look, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Acts 29 is like continuing on church planting. That's the idea. Anyway, Acts 29. Action on U.S. Southeast Pastors, we wanted to bring a significant and urgent need to your attention on behalf of Tyler Jones and Vintage Church and our network leadership. um, Just as a side note, I know Tyler Jones. I know Vintage Church. um, He's a a solid gospel-preaching, God-loving guy. Vintage Church has done uh, a ton to help other churches plant and, and see the gospel go forward. On behalf of Tyler Jones and Vintage Church, Our network leadership team, we would like like you to carefully read this letter from Donnie Griggs, I also know him, as he explains the urgent need for a church in crisis in the Middle East. He and Tyler are asking for your support as they seek to raise $20,000 to help this church. Here's, Here's the body of the letter. We are writing on behalf of a friend and fellow church planner whose name needs to remain anonymous. He and his family were sent out by an Acts 29 church two years ago and have been based in northern Iraq since then. He and a team of locals have been working with local churches and new Christians in Syria for the last year and a half. As the withdrawal of U.S. troops has become a reality, persecution and displacement has already become. While others are fleeing in terror, he and a team have gained clearance and are headed into East Syria to stand with the churches, They're headed into Syria to stand with the churches and work with them and assist them with much needed medical aid. He and his team of highly trained, extremely qualified uh, for this assignment and feel convicted that this is where the Spirit is leading them. We are writing this on behalf to ask you to please consider immediately supporting them with much needed funds. We are hoping to raise $20,000 for uh, help in this significant need. They expect that most or all of their equipment will be confiscated at the border, and so they will have to repurchase this material after they enter into the country at a premium. They also do not expect that they will be able to receive more money once they enter Syria, and they are not sure when they will be able to leave, especially if full-blown war breaks out. All of us are aware of the situation that is developing, but none of us are prepared to respond as this church planner is. We would prayerfully consider. Part, would you prayerfully considering partnering with them by giving towards this great need? Um, after receiving this letter, I um, I, I read it. Uh, it was also sent to uh, David Patton. I also read it, and and David sent the elders an email and said, "We know these people. We we know this church. We know that that." There really are there on the ground, boots on the ground, in Syria under great persecution as they try to spread the name and the fame and the glory of Christ, and we want to do something about it. So uh, as a church, we want to send at least $2,000 to help these people. So I'm asking you, let's do it, church. let's, Let's go above and beyond that to help these people get medical supplies so they can help people and and spread the love and and the fame and the name and the glory of Christ. A couple ways. Um, There are envelopes in the back. Put money in it, write Syria. 100% of it goes there. Uh, Write a check. In in the memo line, write Syria. 100% of it will go. In addition, uh, you can go to your regular online giving. So go to gospelcc.com, click give, and Go to that Choose Fund. It'll say Choose Fund. It's a drop-down menu. Click that, and you'll see Syria. And you can click there and and give to help these brothers and sisters in Christ um, in need. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, including Syria. To all those in every place, Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He ends this way Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, without grace, there can be no peace. Without grace from God, without the effective call of God coming to us, there, there could not be peace or shalom with God. That's why he ends. This way, by giving to us grace and peace. Well, what are we to do with this introduction? What's, did you find this introduction to be as rich as I did? Not something just to blow by. Not something to, okay, the introduction's over. Let's just keep going. No, no, slow down. What are we to do with these three deep verses? I've got two thoughts and then I'm out of your hair. Number one, this introduction points us to Jesus so that we can be like him. Look, just look at the amount of times in these three short verses that Jesus is talked about and mentioned. Paul, called by the will of God as an apostle of who? Christ Jesus and our brothers, to the church of God that is in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you as God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he can't go three words without talking about Jesus. It's, it's gospel-centered. It's Jesus-centered. It's pointing us to Jesus so that we can be like him, so that we can strive to say, what was Jesus like? I mean, I'm, let's do it, church. Let's resurrect the what would Jesus do bracelets. Let's do it so we can get this on our mind and just so that we can understand who Jesus is and seek to be like him, compassionate, loving, merciful, a restorer of the broken. That's who we need to be. This introduction points us to Christ so we can strive to be like him. Secondly, the Corinthian church may have looked like it was falling apart, but the God of the universe who sustains all things was holding them together. as as jacked up as they were, as messed up as they were, Paul still calls them saints. He still calls them sanctified. He even calls them a church, a church of God. And church family, if if God can hold this jacked up mess of a church together, he, he can hold your messed up life together. So I said it at the beginning. I'll say it again. Christians, are called by the will of God to live holy lives together with other believers. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we call upon your name. We call upon you on behalf of our Christian brothers and sisters in Syria who are being persecuted, who are being killed for your namesake who refuse to slander your name in the face of harm, in the face of terror, in the face of death. They refuse to slander your name because they love you. And Lord, we lift them up to you. We ask you to protect them. We ask you to bless them. And Lord, we also lift up those who are terrorizing them. O Lord, do a mighty work. Show up in Syria and convert people. Convert terrorists, O Lord. Just like you converted Saul, the Apostle Paul, who was a religious terrorist. But you are mighty to save. And you have the power to change hearts. Change their hearts, O Lord lead us and how we can serve them and how we can help them even further. We pray protection over them now. Lord, I pray for this church, this gathering of saints, sanctified positionally in you. May we strive for holiness. May we strive together as a people, united under one name, under one Lord. That is the name of Christ. I pray this in that exact same name, the name of Jesus, our great God and King. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.